0: Occur, oh, sometime in the next couple weeks when we get to Acts chapter two. As they're waiting for that power, the thing that we have to recognize and realize as a body of believers is that we have to have that power. If you if you're living the Christian life and you wonder why is this just not all that that I hear it's supposed to be, why am I not uh, uh, experiencing the the things that that I, I, I I thought I should have a changed life my. My life is not moving forward in power. I'm, I'm struggling in, in a variety of different ways. Listen, that's all okay. What it means is, what it is indicative of is that the power of the Holy Spirit is not overcome. It's not overflowing in your life. And how does that occur? Listen, there's not a big trick that needs to be done for that to happen. In Ephesians, Paul would write to us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told us how to do it. Jesus said, If you being evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Who ask for that empowerment. And then, as we'll see uh, this morning as we look at what the Scripture has for us, not just asking but then stepping out in faith. And recognizing that God's going to meet us in that place. As we uh, take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning, I invite you to open up again to Acts chapter 1. And we'll pick it up in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all together, the number of names was around 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and attained a part in this ministry. Now, this man, he purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. And all his entrails gushed out. It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, a which means the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. In another Psalms, let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day which he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed too. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be opened to the enormity of what we've just read, the the incredible power that we can see moving as a result of the choices we see these apostles make at their first prayer meeting. Lord God, we ask that you might be glorified and magnified and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, as we just lift this time before you now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we take a look at this section of Scripture in the book of Acts, one of the things that's going to leap out at us right in the beginning, the very first thing in verse 12, and they return to Jerusalem. That that speaks of the, the apostles, the 120 who were gathered there, who saw the ascension of Jesus Christ. Listen, it speaks to their obedience. Jesus told them, Go to Jerusalem and wait. Until you have been endowed with power. And so when Jesus was lifted up. They turned and they obeyed. They walked in obedience. They went to the place that Jesus told them to go. In fact if we want to see what they did in that place. If you turn just to the left a a few pages. You'll come to Luke chapter 24. Verse 52. And Luke 24 52 tells us what takes place at this time as they've left the the ascension and they head back toward Jerusalem in Luke 24 52 it says and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God so this is where they went they headed back to the to Jerusalem, and all day they were at the temple praising and blessing God, praying. In the evenings, they would gather together in the upper room, as, as the, the writer of Luke also tells us in the book of Acts. He says in, in verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. So they would be at the temple during the day, they would praise God, they would call upon His name, they would be in a, in a place where they're focused on Him, and then afterwards they all gathered together in the upper room. Well, the upper room is a little different, for those of you who have been to, to Israel, you may have had an opportunity to see something like the upper rooms uh, of those days. In essence, the upper room uh, at, at the more wealthy folks' home was that, like the upper story of their house. And on that upper story of their house, there was no other rooms. It was just one big room the size of the house. And that's the place where they would have meetings, where they might gather, where, where people could come together. So that's where they've gathered. Now, in Acts, it, the writer calls this the upper room. With the, de, with the definite article attached, chances are this is the upper room where they had the Last Supper. This is the upper room where they had gathered together and Jesus had given them encouragement prior to the time when he would be arrested and crucified. And so their days were spent in the temple praying and praising and their evenings were spent in the upper room gathered together. And as we look at it, we see that there is something so special about what they're doing and it is, I think, one of the key essentials to the struggles that we have in the church today and that is that they were committed to prayer they were committed to prayer in kind of an incredible way as you take a look at it it says in verse 14 these all did what continued they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication that phrase these all continued That phrase means that that they endured, they persevered. We have uh, at the church, we have a prayer ministry. It's called Words on the Wall. Words on the Wall basically takes a week and it divides it up into 168 slots of one hour increments for prayer. And we ask anybody who's willing to volunteer to sign up for their hour, to take that hour, to pray for the church, to pray for the sick, to pray for those who are struggling, to, to work your way through your bulletin, whatever, <clears throat> to pray about the things that are going on. In those 168 slots that are available, and by the way, there are still some slots available, what you discover when you sign up is in the, initially you're thinking, man, this is a really good thing. I'm going to be really committed to this. And and maybe your, your time is Tuesday at noon. And Tuesday noon rolls around and you pray. And you think, man, that was... That was kind of cool. And the, but the next week, that Tuesday comes again. And the week after that, 52 times in a row, that Tuesday comes back around. And this little word, they continued, speaks to their ability to continue to call on the name of the Lord and await His power. They prayed. They didn't stop, they didn't give up, they kept praying. They kept praying, they kept seeking the Lord, they kept calling upon His name. Here you have the 11 apostles, Judas, we read, is, is gone from them. So there's 11 apostles, Mary, the women, and the brothers of Jesus who have come to faith after the resurrection. After the resurrection, it's kind of hard, hard to argue with your brother who said he was God. And then he rose from the dead. You stop arguing with him. You say, amen. Yeah. Hey, I knew there was something different about you. And they become pillars in that initial church there in Jerusalem. Now, they're all gathered together in that place. They've come together. And I want you to hear what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Because I don't want you to think that this concept is just something that, that happens Briefly, but this is something that they work throughout the church in the book of Acts. Listen to what it says in Acts two hundred forty two. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Prayers. One of the things that marked them, as they as we come to the first struggle that occurs within the church, and we get to uh, around Acts chapter six, the apostles say we need to commit ourselves to the study of the word and to prayer, being focused in prayer. We look at the book of Acts and sometimes we wonder why we don't see those same kind of things occurring within the church today. But when the book of Acts begins, don't lose sight. Please don't lose sight that the people are gathered in one place and they continued to pray. Whenever I think about continuing to pray, I I think of my wife who had to pray for her husband to stop being a knucklehead for a long time. She had to go before the Lord. And I'm sure there was more than one occasion that she thought, Lord, how long is this going to take? But she kept praying. And the Lord did His work and and He healed our marriage and He worked a lot of those things out. And then she began to pray for her sister. Her sister wasn't saved and was living in Northern California and and was... At that time, uh, involved with a lot of uh, motorcycle gangs and stuff that were going on up there. And that was just kind of her life and where she was at. And she began to pray. And she prayed for 10 years before her sister got saved. While I was studying, I heard a story of a a woman who come up and and wanted to, to talk to the pastor. And she said, listen, I've been praying for my husband For three months and he's still not saved and he's still such a big jerk and I can't believe all the things that he's doing. And right behind her was another woman waiting for an opportunity to pray and she had a chance to minister to her. And so she said to her, I prayed for my husband for 30 years and praise God, he's saved today. And they continued steadfast. We live in such a society of instant gratification. I mean, I've heard my own, the, the words come out of my own mouth. Well, I already prayed about that. Well, I prayed about that. And, 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 and sometimes we think, well, I, I laid it out there and, and God will move when, when God wants to move. But when we read the book of Acts, we see the people gathered together and praying earnestly earnestly going before the the Lord. In the book of James, chapter 5, it says, The fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent. That's this, this next phrase. Because not only did they continue, but it says, With one accord. That phrase, with one accord. Listen. It's more than just unity. It's not unity just that they were all praying about the same thing. That's not what it is. It means they all had the same passion. Their passion was for prayer. And what we kind of get disconnected from in our relationship with God, I want you to think about how it was for them. I want you to picture that day, okay? They, they stood there. Now, Jesus rose from the dead. Think how excited and, and happy they are. For 40 days, Jesus walked with them and He talked to them. They ate together. They hung out. He, He told them about some of the plans He had for them, for their future. What was going on? And then on that day, they got to the top there at the, at the Mount of Olives and, and up, up Jesus goes. And then these two fellas dressing white come alongside and they say, What are you guys doing? Jesus said, Get going. Let's go. So they turn around and they they head to Jerusalem. I want you to think, just for a second, just try to think how much after day one they missed seeing Jesus. How much did they miss looking into his eyes? How much did they miss that opportunity to, to hear His voice. How much did they miss that? That passion translated for them into their prayers as they would gather together and they would call on the name of the Lord. Their passion was for Him. Their passion was to see Him. Their passion was to, to see Him move in power in their lives. And so as they gathered together steadfastly, being faithful... And gathered in unity, they were gathered in that passion to see Him. To see Him move. To see Him do His will. Right? On earth, as it is in heaven. That's the passion. So we come to James, and James says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's the same picture. That fervent, passionate prayer to see Jesus. To see Him move. To see Him do something in their time. And when you think about that, please realize, every single revival since the dawn of man started the same way. And it required those two things. Faithfulness and passion a passion to see God move, and a faithfulness that realized it might not happen today or tomorrow. In fact, in some of those prayer meetings leading to revival, some of those prayer meetings lasted 10 and 20 years before the moment occurred when God poured out His Spirit in the On the, on the men and women that he had called and his spirit moved through the, through the nation, through the area with such fervency. People were getting saved and they saw things change. In fact, just after the Revolutionary War, you know, people used to get together and they would talk about how their, their world had changed so much from when they were little. They would get together and they would talk about the, the moral decline of society. You heard that before? By the way, I'm talking about 1776. So they're they're talking about the moral decline, and they're talking about all the problems, and they're talking about the the political issues that are on their day. And there was this very sparse church services. People weren't going to church, and people weren't really into the Lord. You know, they've been delivered. They have a new country. Things seem like they're going good. And So there was this decline. They had denominations in those days that talked about joining together so that they could have enough people in their church to have church. And what began to happen is the pastors began to band themselves together and pray. Now, it's 2012 today, and we know that our nation... Overcame the moral decline of the 1700s and the 1800s. But they overcame that decline. They overcame the the lack of spirituality within the lives of the people by God's people doing what Solomon told them to do to the nation of Israel when he founded the temple. When he put the temple up and the people are in such a national fervor and everybody's like, yay God. Everybody's stoked. It wasn't a low time with God, it was a high time with God. And everybody's happy about all that God had done and all that God had required. And Solomon at that time said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray if they'll repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their voice from heaven. The scriptures begin to lay out, but that was at a high time. The Lord saying, listen, when that spiritual decline comes, what's the key? Prayer. Prayer. So often for you and I, prayer can often become an incidental or a phase of our Christianity. And the illness infecting the church today is prayerlessness. It's an attitude not, not of this unity, not of this passion, not seeking God's face. And so we don't experience the movement of God. And we look around and we say that our nation is in need Of revival. And we look to people to start that. We look to people to make that happen. Listen. The people to make it happen are the the righteous. For the fervent prayers of a what kind of man? Righteous man. Oh, so that's only the good folks, right? Oh, uh, let's, let's talk about righteousness just for a minute. Where's that righteousness come from? Jesus Christ. So I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ... I am, Scripture declares me to be, a just man made perfect. I'm a righteous man. You're a righteous man. If your faith is in Jesus Christ. And so, as a righteous man, if we will develop a passionate prayer life, we will see God move mightily in our time. In our place. In our family. But don't forget how it started. It says, they continued it was 10 days from this to the day of Pentecost we see in Acts chapter 2 but after Acts chapter 2 after the preaching what does it say they continued how steadfastly and the last thing that's mentioned there was what they continued steadfastly in prayer And Acts chapter 6 what was it that they said they said here there's trouble coming into the church and there's problems that got to be dealt with but we need to commit ourselves to the study of the word and to prayer All the way through the book of Acts. In fact, into the writings of Paul. What does Paul say? He says, pray without ceasing. To continue. How do we continue? What if you pray for a whole week and nothing happens? Isn't that a struggle for us? I mean, are we going to be honest? We pray for God to do something and we pray for a whole week, maybe a whole month, maybe a whole year. And you're still waiting for it. You're still waiting for it and, and wondering if God's going to move. So you begin to think, oh, no, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing it. I don't see God God moving in this time. And we we falter. Jesus knew that. So the writer of the book of Acts also gives us, I think, a story that's important for us to take a look at. And that's in Luke chapter 18. So why don't you just flip to Luke 18 with me together and we'll take a look at it Luke chapter 18 we're talking about the unity and faithfulness that's necessary in prayer and we're talking about the need for us to persevere to continue to pray to continue to call upon his name listen Luke 18 verse 1 and he spoke a parable to them Listen, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the purpose of this parable. That men ought to pray once in a while. No, what did he say? That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. But I mean, if we're going to be truthful, if I'm going to be truthful by myself, I I lose heart sometimes praying. Sometimes I pray for somebody and I want to see that change. I want to see something happen in their life. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. And so I just figured, well, guess I can't do nothing for them. But God's word stands in direct distinction to that attitude. In God's word, he says, "Men always ought to pray and never lose heart. See, In our relationship with God, we have the sovereignty of God. That that God is in control and God knows what he's doing. And if God's waiting, then we are to keep praying. Look what Jesus said. He said, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So this is an unrighteous dude. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him and said, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within myself, Though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, listen to this phrase. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, when we continue in prayer, It is a demonstration of our faith that while we don't see the answer, we keep praying. Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Will my people be praying? I think it's a, a clue to the fact that there would become, there would enter into our reality, this spiritual stagnation where we, we do church and we come and we, we have church and we gather together and we have good things happening and good stuff going on. But we are not a people committed to prayer. We're not a people that pray passionately. We're a people who pray on the run. It's time for me to go to work, throw out a quick prayer, maybe while I'm driving down the road, throw out a quick prayer for meals. We may throw out a quick prayer. Those are all incidental prayers. No passion involved in that, is there? I'm going to tell you, I had one of the best meals I've ever had in my life last night. My body is still trying to recover. I nearly ate myself into a coma. It was incredible. I understand after last night why my Jewish brothers and sisters pray at the end of the meal. Cuz you're never really sure how thankful you're going to be till it's over. And when it's over then it's like, man, your prayer can be passionate. It's like, Lord, those stuffed peppers were incredible. The shrimp, oh, it was just man, it was good. But more often than not, my prayers for my meals are the same as they are every day, you know. But not too much change from when I was a kid, you know. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for this food. Amen. Let's eat. That's not the kind of prayer that, that the Lord's talking about. He's talking about a passionate prayer life where we're connecting with Him. That we continue to pray even if it looks like the circumstances we're praying for don't change. Immediately. Maybe they don't change for a year. Maybe they don't change for months. Maybe they don't change for years. Will you be a man or woman of faith who will continue to pray so that when Jesus comes, he finds faith on the earth? because his people unlike the unrighteous story that he talks about they continue to pray they continue to seek the righteous judge they won't quit it is unusual prayer it is fervent prayer it is passionate prayer and it's faithful prayer that these guys were were a part of when the spirit is poured out the first time it's 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 a different than i think what so many of us experience i was blessed last week because last sunday night we did the first uh, worship and prayer and and uh, ann bayshore uh, came and she sang with me and we just did uh just real mellow just guitar and and singing, we sing a couple of songs and we'd have open prayer and we'd just pray for how, how, however the Spirit was moving at that moment. Maybe we were just praying prayers of thanksgiving. Maybe we were, we're offering up supplication for our nation. Maybe we, whatever we were doing, it was just how it was going. And it was, and then, you know, the, as a, as a, the, the time would quiet a little bit, we'd enter into a little bit more praise and worship and then that would lead us to another point of prayer and it was, just a really neat exciting time of praying and worshiping which is why we're doing it again because that wasn't something that they, they did in the early church just once in a while it wasn't just something they did when the nation was upside down our nation's always been upside down doesn't every generation the, the, the older we get the better we were huh we look back and life was so good and we never did none of them wrong things them kids do today, my goodness they don't even know how to pull their britches up <laughs> they definitely could use some help in some of those departments but what, what is really needed within the body of Christ today is what we see in Acts chapter 1 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication They prayed. They prayed fervently. They prayed passionately. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, this is what Paul says. He says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and the supplication of the saints." "...being watchful to this end with all perseverance." That means Paul's praying. Sometimes he's praying for the same thing over and over and over. And it hasn't happened. And then he, he realizes this is a requirement for them to develop perseverance. You know that quitting is easy. Anybody can quit. You don't have to teach someone to quit. Quitting comes as part of the sin nature, man. It's a piece of cake. Quitting is easy. Staying with something, that's something altogether different. And quitting becomes a habit. And prayerfully, that's a habit that I want to make sure I break in my life. That we are a people of fervent prayer. J. Wilbur Chapman, you ever heard of him? J. Wilbur Chapman. His church needed a preacher. And so they had a pulpit committee and they brought some guys in. And one of the guys that they had brought in was was J. Wilbur Chapman. And they were kind of thinking that this guy he looked like it would be a good deal a nice fit you know younger fella coming into the church maybe bring in a a little spiciness you know and and things would happen and church would grow so they send the invitation to j wilbur chapman and he came and after his first sermon the people got together and said that is the worst preaching i've ever heard in my life who are the knuckleheads that picked this guy well, the knuckleheads who picked this guy, they start to look at each other and think, you know, we got to do something. we either got to get rid of him or start praying for him. So two of the ladies from the pulpit committee began to pray for him every single week for his sermon because they were so bad. Eventually, that prayer meeting grew to 200 people. And J. Wilbur Chapman, he became known as the number one communicator of the gospel for his time. I think today we don't like a preacher, or we don't like something, we just say, well, get rid of them, let's get something else. Because it's easier to get something else to change things up than to commit to prayer. Isn't it? To say... I'm really going to put my money where my mouth is in regard to my relationship with Christ and I'm going to make prayer a necessary part of my life. And they prayed. And eventually, things changed. It won't be overnight. It doesn't just happen. No revival. They didn't ever have one prayer meeting and the revival was the next week. It never worked. They would pray for years. They would call upon the name of the Lord fervently with a passion to see God move in their time. And He did. Because they continued fervently. My question is, why is my first desire when a problem comes up to call a friend? Why is the first thought that goes through my mind uh, to to call, even in my mind I had some things some issues I was dealing with and I had some some things going on in my head I I didn't know what to do with so I called my pastor and I was like what do I do with this and he gave me good counsel just like all pastors are supposed to but you know when I was done with the phone call that wasn't it I was like yeah that's that wasn't what I was looking for. You ever get really hungry in the middle of the night? And you go out uh, and you get into the kitchen and you open the fridge and you look and that's okay, but that's not it. Well, that's okay, but that's, it's so great when you find the it, you know? When you find it and you go, that's it, that's. Well, that's what, how I was feeling, man. I had this heaviness on my heart and I, that, wasn't, that wasn't really what I was looking for. And so... I stayed up all night. Didn't go to bed. I came here uh, because I was bouncing off the walls at home. So I came to the church, got to church super early. So nobody's here when you, when you come that early. And I come super early and I just go in my office and I just start praying. And that was it. And God spoke. And he showed me what was going on and it was all good. I want to make that first choice instead of the whole all-nighter before. I want to go to Him. He's the one who's able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, isn't He? Is our God able? Do we believe that our God is able? Then when we have issues, that's where we go. To Him. And He may move today, He may move tomorrow, He may move next year. He wants to know... Will you keep coming to me with this issue? Will you keep bringing it to me? Will you stay faithful? Bringing this to me. And that's that's who I want to be. But when they did it, what the other thing that we see here in Acts chapter 1 is they also were guided by the Word of God. They had fervent prayer, but their prayer was led by the Word of God by what God's word was speaking to him. Listen, look what it says. Peter stands up on that day and begins to talk to the people, 120 people that are gathered. Why? Please don't disassociate yourself from the story. They are bummed. A guy that they spent three and a half years ministering side by side with, that they cried with, that they bled with, that they believed in, had betrayed them, and not only had he betrayed them, but immediately after he had betrayed them, he committed suicide. And they're dealing with that. Don't think that these guys are gathered in a room thinking, yeah, it serves that guy right. That's not how they felt. This is their friend. This was somebody they cared about. And they're looking at something that happened, and they're thinking, why did this have to happen? You ever felt that way? Why did this have to happen? And where did they find their answer? In the word, in the Bible, Peter stood up and he said, This scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in our ministry. It tells us what happened. And Judas hung himself and at some point as he just hung there, nobody cared about him. Nobody cared to go cut him down or bury him. They didn't care about the people in those days. They just left him in a tree. Until the rope broke. Or he broke. And he fell down off the edge of this, this cliff. you can still go and visit the area that they believe that occurred today, it's right next to a place called Gehenna right next to gehenna gehenna is an example of the dump in the in the in the days of scripture it was what jesus used as a description of what hell's like and that's where the potter's field is where they threw all the broken pottery and that's where he spilled out and the and the, the disciples are thinking lord why man i, I really cared about this guy we really liked them. I mean, what happened? How did he get so far out? How did, it, how did the word not, not get into his heart? And so they're struggling with it. And Peter stands up and he says, Guys, the Bible said this was going to happen. That he was going to do this. David talked about it. It alludes to the story that Jesus used in Psalm 49 when he talked about Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's counselor, his chief counselor. And as his chief counselor, he turned his back on David during the time of Absalom. And as he turned his back on David at the time of Absalom, there was these questions going on. And David said, the one who broke bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus used the same phrase talking about Judas. Ahithophel, he was Bathsheba's grandpa. And he could never get over the fact that David killed Uriah. So he could have Bathsheba. And that bitterness led him to betrayal. Is that the same heart that was in Judas? We don't know. We don't really know that much about what was happening to him. But the heart of Ahithophel was a heart that was led to betrayal because of the bitterness in his heart. And so he betrayed. The scripture would go on to say in the Psalms still... He says in uh, in verse 20, For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. Now here's what's going on. He's reading Psalm 69. They're sitting there, gathered together in one accord, in passionate prayer, calling on the name of the Lord, and they're reading the scripture. They're opening the scrolls. And when your heart is heavy, and you don't know what to do, where do you go? You go to the Psalms. You go to the Psalms. And so they're in the Psalms, and they're reading the Psalms because they want to find comfort in the Psalms. And as they're reading the Psalms, Psalm 69 jumps out at Peter, and and, he, and he's, he's looking at the Scripture, it becomes alive like it never did before. And he goes, Man, this is God speaking to us through His Word. And what God is speaking to us, He's saying, let it, let His dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it. It's a, that's just like the place where we saw Judas' body fall and nobody cares and nobody's looking and nobody's moved and nobody's lives are changing. But then He goes on and He says, as He continues to read, He continues to work His way through the Psalms, He comes to Psalm uh, 109. And he says, let another take his office. And again, the, the Scripture leaps out at Peter, and he says, listen, God wants us to realize that this was going to happen with Judas. But the Scripture says, and Jesus said, that there would be 12 thrones for the 12 apostles. And Judas wasn't one of them. Jesus, in fact, says in John chapter 6, he never was. He never believed. And so Peter says, we're supposed to choose another. And sometimes around this time, going through Acts chapter 1, people say these guys were getting ahead of themselves, and really, who Jesus wanted chosen was Paul. But then I'm going to take you back to what we just read. These all continued in prayer, a passionate prayer, seeking the Lord. Asking God to direct them, and the Lord spoke to them through the word. They chose who God wanted them to have. And if you have any questions about it, all you got to wait to is the next chapter. Because in chapter 2, when Peter stands up to preach, the Bible says he stood up with the 11. Now, Peter plus 11 equals how many? 12. So in Acts chapter 2, the one they chose is called part of the twelve period they continued steadfastly in prayer and god spoke to them through the word and they applied that word the lord spoke to them through the word they applied that word they they came forward their question was why did this happen peter says because it's in the word well what should we do about it we need to appoint another why did they appoint one for judas They appoint one for Judas because Judas was never part of the twelve. Later on, James is going to be killed and they're not going to appoint a new apostle when James dies. There is just the twelve apostles. That's it. That office was closed. The call of apostle or the ones to be sent out, that still occurs today. But there's only twelve thrones, there's only twelve guys. And these are the 12 guys being led by the Spirit to do these things. It says, therefore, these men who have accompanied us all the time that Jesus went in and out, beginning from his baptism until he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. So it had to be somebody who was with them, who followed, who went from the time he was baptized to the time he ascended into heaven. And so from those... Two categories, they come up with two names. If there'd only been one name, we probably wouldn't be reading about it. If there's only one name, they just picked that one and that'd have been it, right? But they're continuing in passionate prayer, seeking the Lord. The word of God is speaking to their hearts and guiding them on, on why something's going on and what to do about it. And then they put together these two fellas. And as they bring these two fellows together, they decide. They're going to let God choose. That, by the way, is pretty important. Because Peter, as they come together, look what happens. They propose to Joseph, called Barsabbas, uh, also surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And then what they do immediately? And they prayed. They prayed. And then they tell us the prayer. Here's the prayer to know who to choose. To know who's the guy. The very next phrase. It's got to be according to God's knowledge. Not mine. I mean really if we were with Jesus at the beginning. Do you think we would have picked those 12 guys? Of all the people in the world that you could choose. You'd have picked them 12. You'd have picked 12 fishermen around Galilee. You're coming to make an impact on the world. You want to change the world. So you're going to pick 12 fishermen. Why did he pick those 12 fishermen? Because he's God. And he knew the hearts of those 12 fishermen better than you could know from the outside looking at their life. Has that changed today? That's still how God chooses men and women. You, Lord, know their heart. You know it. You know their heart. He calls out that it should be according to God's knowledge. O Lord, you know the hearts of all. So show which of these two, which of these two should be chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Oh, this is the part people get upset about. And they cast lots. They gambled. They gambled, and what a bunch of knuckleheads. How do they know it was right? I mean, they rolled the dice, and the dice came up, and they picked Matthias, and maybe they were supposed to pick the other guy. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 lays out for us, The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That's what Solomon gives to us in Scripture. We can go through the Scripture, there's probably no less than ten, maybe more than ten times, where God's will was discerned by the casting of lots. But the casting of lots... To choose, to see what it was that God wanted to do. But listen, more than those examples, hear what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11. It says, But without faith, it is impossible to do what? To please God. Without faith, they prayed that the decision would be according to God's knowledge, that He would guide their choice, and then they stepped out in faith and believed that God did what He said He would do. Listen, if they hadn't cast lots, if they had just said, you know what, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to pray, and we're going to let the oldest member here choose. The oldest member would have stood up and made the exact same choice. If they said, no, what we're going to do is we're all going to pray, and we're going to do a secret ballot, and we're going to put a ballot into the hat, and then when they had counted all the ballots, it would have been the same choice. Because before they moved forward, they prayed that God would do it according to His knowledge, and that He would choose the man that needed to be chosen. And so they cast lots. They prayed, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven. Matthias becomes a part. Well, we haven't even seen the Holy Spirit rumble the building yet. Tongues of fire haven't happened. All these things haven't gone on. That's coming up. Don't worry, it's coming. But before all that came, look at the foundation that they had. The foundation of seeking the Lord in prayer. The foundation of continuing, even if the answer didn't come in a day, or two days, or three days, or ten days, or a year, or forty years because we come to the end of the book of Acts, they're still continuing steadfastly in prayer. Listen, I want to see God move in all our lives in an incredible way. I would not be here if I didn't believe that God wanted to move, that He wanted to do those things in our presence, even now. But it's not going to happen until His people learn to pray with passion and commitment. When His people learn to pray with passion and faithfulness, they say, I won't quit. I won't stop asking. I won't stop asking. And that's the attitude that God wants His people to have. That's the attitude they have. When we turn the page and we come to Acts chapter 2 and we see perhaps the greatest uh, initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit and and the birthday of the church and the day of Pentecost occur you can't remove it from chapter 1 you can't remove it from that attitude of prayer we want to see that in our time we want to see that in our day I have good news for you we got a night of prayer and worship tonight just so happens there's an opportunity just so happens there's still a warriors on the wall out there and people can still sign up in the holes. it just so happens that God wants his people to be moved with passion and pray and pray And then pray a little more. You want to see God move with power in your time. That's how it's going to happen. Because if I took you back to our first five years of marriage and you were the preacher and my wife came to you and said, Let me tell you what my husband does and what he's doing. You would have said the same thing he did. You would have said the same thing that the Marine Corps counselor told her. Run. Get away. He will never change. It will never get better. He will break your heart forever. But she chose to pray. The funny thing is, I broke her heart the next day. And the day after that, and the day after that, for another year, two, three, maybe five years down the road before God got a hold of me. But thankfully, he already had a hold of my wife. And she continued fervently praying. One prayer, she said... Lord, do whatever you got to do to them. You read the Psalms. Sometimes David said, knock out their teeth, God. Knock them out. <laughs> that was a passionate prayer. She said, do whatever you got to do. God did. Listen, I don't want you to miss this. God was going to do it anyway. God's sovereign, and God is in control, and God was going to do it anyway. So why should she pray? Because those years of prayer established in her a foundation of faithfulness. They establish a foundation of trust. They establish a litmus test for when things get hard, where am I going to go? And that becomes our habit. Remember I told you quitting is a habit? So is prayer. Which habit you want? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you in an attitude of prayer, and we're just reminded of the foundation that's laid for the apostles as we come upon the day of Pentecost, and your Spirit moving forth in power. But before we see that, we see these men who continued steadfastly in prayer. We see these men who were moved by the same passion, a passion for Jesus Christ, We need that same unity to pray today. A a unity built around the centrality of Jesus Christ. Not around our creeds or confessions, but the centrality of Christ. To see Him move. To see people come to saving knowledge of, of Him. To see Him do this perfect work that God wants to do. God, you're calling your people who are called by your name to humble themselves and pray, and pray, and pray. You called Daniel when his nation was in captivity because of their disobedience, when the moral decline of their society had led them to the point where they were now all slaves. Daniel, of whom not one sin is listed in Scripture, yet he prayed. He said, Forgive Me, I repent for my nation. And you began your work. So we, your people today, look at our nation and it's sideways and it's messed up and we're not completely certain what our next step is. But your word for us today is Pray, continue in prayer, be steadfast and faithful, be passionate about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and I will move in power in your life. And that's what we want, Jesus, that's what we want, Lord God, to see you move in power. So, Lord, make us a people committed to prayer. In order for us to be that that person, that people committed to prayer, God, we've got to come to a place where we recognize that we have to surrender our control of everything, our control of our world and the circumstances within it, and we realize that you are in control. You are always in control, God, and we have to come with an attitude of surrender. And an attitude that says, Lord, here I am before you in prayer to look toward and give thanks. That's what prayer means. Oh, Lord God, do a perfect work. We come before you and we ask that you would move in the hearts of your people. That that this would be the beginning of of a new attitude within your church, an attitude of prayer. And Father, as we see you move, and as we see you do your work, we will glorify your name because it's not about us. It is all about you. So we give you thanks. For what you are doing now and will continue to do until we see you face to face. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.